In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Cleveland. I'm here with Ian Wright, right, right. There's no Jack. Jack is currently up a treehouse in the centre park. He's having a lovely time. Just for the record, I'm not sure if he's actually in a, a treehouse, but he's in centre parks and he's got a very poor internet reception. But Ian, we're here to discuss the mighty Cleveland Browns lost in LA. Yeah, tough one. Uh, I think it put Jack into hibernation. But um, So... Tough game. Um, I think going on the road, a lot of fans were a little bit concerned and or optimistic about this Denver LA road trip. And with the Browns to kind of come out of that 0-2 makes I think everybody look a little bit different at the team than we did going in. Um we did see Joe Flacco, but more importantly, Paul, you are back in London. Where were you? Let's see, today is Tuesday, carry that. Where were you two days ago? Yeah, so I flew into LA, if you didn't know. I flew into LA, um, flew in. It was a beautiful landing. Uh, big shout out to James, the BA guy who works on BA. said, go on the right side and you'll have a great views of LA. As we came down, it was beautiful. So seeing the stadium from the sky was priceless. So if you're coming to LA, make sure you're on the right side and that stadium looks gorgeous. How close is the stadium to downtown LA? I've never I've never been to SoFi. Um You've basically got three levels in LA in my eyes. You've got Hollywood area, Beverly Hills. You've got your downtown area, and then you've got LAX, and then you've got the sea. So you've got your Venice Beach, that kind of area, which, you know. The Viagra Triangle, yeah, Venice Manhattan Beach. Beach, all that up there, yeah. Yeah, Hermosa. you know, so your beaches are like 20, 30 minutes away from the station. And so far, I could have walked it. It's five miles uh, from the stadium to the um, airport. Uh, it cost gotcha. me uh, a 20 buck taxi in between the stadium and... Uh, so cheaper taxi than Seattle? A lot cheaper. However, small print, there is no public transport at the stadium. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so everyone has to get Ubers or drive home. Mm, so you can imagine okay. a massive... So you got out there on Saturday or did you get out there on Friday? Got out there Friday. Friday night, caught up with... I'll just get name dropping, mate. It's quite a lot easier than being subtle. Eric Metcalf, Larry, Big Willie, a few other Browns fans. We had a little meal watching the Washington versus Oregon game, which Eric Metcalf had some money on. Uh, well, he's a he's a Texas boy, so that makes sense. Yeah, I had a cigar for him, gave him a cigar, had a good catch up. Um, next morning, got up at really early, six o'clock in the morning, went to the top of Griffin Observation Tower, whatever it's called. Me and Big Willie saw the sun come up. Beautiful, absolute gorgeous. We then went down into Skid Row. I want to see the worst of the worst of LA, and it wasn't that bad. 
I've not heard good things about Skid Row. Yeah, I saw people shitting in the streets, but otherwise... Um, oh, other than that, you know, other than the guy taking a shit on sidewalk. Yeah, it wasn't too bad, to be honest. Um, wow. Look, I went there in the morning rather than night time, so, uh, yeah. Um, I then went out to Venice Beach, played a bit of basketball with the locals. Um, I then went to Rodeo Drive. I then went to, drove to Malibu. And then in the evening at four o'clock, they had the big party, the LA Browns backers party, 65 bucks to go. And that was it. You didn't get any drinks or food. You had a little bit of food, but wow. the idea was it was a celebrity Browns backers. We had Metcalf, Koza, Machine Gun Kelly. Wow. You had all the big timers. We had. Um, Did Machine Gun Kelly's wife, Megan Fox, come too? Mate, everyone asked me that question. I didn't see her. Um, the, the was the what is he called? The cornerback Joe Hayden was there. Oh, Joe, yep. Uh, and an inter- interesting guy I had a chat with that I should have got his details to get him on the podcast. Linebacker from Akron who used to play for the Browns. Uh, I think he was called Frank. Hmm. Our podcasters out there, if you know who Paul's talking about, you'll have to DM it to us or put it to us in Twitter. Because Akram Liebacker played for the Browns. I, I honestly, off the top of my head, nothing is popping up, but you never know. You never know. Uh, a quick Google tells me there was a guy named Tony. No, no, Tony. Charlton Keith. No, he's from Akron, Ohio. Either way, if you know who Paul's talking about, just send it to us. We're not going to spend all that time. Because um, there is a linebacker a few years ago that was with the Chargers. His name was like Jatavius Brown, but he was right. never on the Browns. So either way, so you end up Saturday night hanging out with all the luminaries. Makes so sense. I chat with um, Machine Gun Kelly. I'll give the world the exclusive what we talked about. Go for it. Um, people were coming up for photos, and I was like, that's not Paul Brown style. So, yeah. I grabbed him and I just said, hey, buddy, you're in London. I'm from London. I'm a Browns fan. Cool. I said, awesome party at the Bacchanale where he played. He goes, mate, what a venue. It really good. Great vibe over in London. And uh, yeah, they said, go Browns to him. And asked him if he was going to the game. He said, yes. And uh, yeah, next time I see him in London, I'll have another chat with him. There you go. World exclusive. Yeah, did you get a chance uh, to talk to Bernie? I yeah, me and Bernie, uh, we we spoke briefly, but like every single person was on him like dog heat. So uh, um, the only thing I will say, and I normally talk about what I see rather than an opinion. He did look fray. He did look brittle. Yeah, well, he's aged. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And obviously, you know, BK is a friend of the show. So we, we hope nothing but good health for, for old Bernie. Good, good, good guy. Just good guy over around. Uh, he's overcoming a lot in his life. So it's good to see he's doing what he is with the team and being an ambassador. But all right. So, Paul, it's game day, Sunday. You're squaring up. Tell us, tailgate scene going into the stadium. You know, you had you had a couple interesting opinions about the stadium being that it wasn't quite. It, it's It's very luxurious to look at, but what's it missing? Talk to us, Paul. Yeah, so the, the tailgate, how the LA Rams do their tailgating, they've all got these square gazebo, I don't know what you call them in America. But pop-up tents. Pop-up like, tents, you call them? Yeah. 
all square, all in a line. And, you know, every car's got the same matching one. It looks really organised. And they've got loads of DJs. So as you go along, all playing California. California. California Love. Yeah, can you make sure that's the intro song, mate, for today, please? That's Dre and Ed Love, yep. Yeah, because that was just played hundred times over the weekend. I, I never knew that it was going to be such an overplayed song in California. Do you want me to sing it for you? Uh, no, thanks. Just put okay. on a Z. I just want to make sure, because now let me welcome everybody to the Wild Wild West, the state that's untouchable, like Elliot Ness, the track hitch, eardrum, like a slug to chest. I mean, I can do the whole thing. Everybody my age can do full-on karaoke to that one. From Cian, from Diego to the Bay. It's a city by the bay. City make you pay. Drop a finger if you feel the same way. California. Well, is, that, is that actually what you do yeah. the intro? California. You can either do you or we can have the original. It's up to you, man. There's a, there's a video out there, I think, on the social medias from a friend's wedding where I took the mic from a DJ and I uh, I did that one. All right, mate. Little, hidden, little hidden talent of mine. I'll let you do the whatever creative edge you want to put on the podcast you can. You've got reins to do whatever you want. But yeah. LA Rams, they've got like a, a few little sections where you can tailgate. Um, very small area. Um, they've built a massive lake outside the stadium. My first thing that comes to my mind is get rid of the fucking lake, more space for tailgating. I think that's their water supply. Oh, there we go then. I think you that's why that's there because in California they have a water shortage, but yeah, anyway. Um, the tailgating was better than I expected. There was no organized Cleveland Browns tailgate, which was a bit disappointing. Um, nothing at all. So we tried to get it going in the LA area, but there was simply one Cleveland Browns flag on an RV and all the Browns fans just uh, grouped around this one flag. It was like the Nick Chubb Batman signal. We just put up the flag and hope everybody runs to it, huh? Yeah, and me and Larry had a chat, you know, like we're thinking... Do we have to take, or I say we very um, loosely, but do we have to take the bus all the way across country for these games? Like, can we just get a renter Jeep and put loads of Browns flags up in the air and have a sound system? You know, that's all you need, I think. I mean, you'd need a portable version, yeah. You'd need a version of a pop-up tent. You'd need music and a flag. That's about all you'd need. Or you just put the bus on a train car and let the train car take it out there. Yeah. So anyway, um, we went into the stadium. As everyone said, the security was tight or accused getting into the stadium. Um, you had to walk all the way around to your own gate, which was a bit annoying from the outside. It wasn't like like the Cleveland, you just walk into any place and then you walk around when you're in. Mm -hmm. You had to walk around the whole way around to your gate and then you went through uh, security. Um, the first impressions as you walk in, you go, wow, that sign is absolutely massive. And then you go up to the sign, you go, wow, the whole stadium's dead, dug into the ground. Hmm. So you come in at, um, at um, say, street level to the top of the stadium where you see that sign. And it hmm. looks really impressive. And then you go, basically, you go down into your seats. Yeah, that's how Michigan Stadium is as well. That's why we call it the giant toilet bowl. Well, I thought Michigan was more outdoory. It's outdoors, but you come in at this the high level and you go down. The stadium is dug okay. down. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um 
the sound system was average. The crowd was average. Everything was clean and tidy. Um, yeah, it was like felt to me like the most futuristic stadium. Well, one of the things that people talk about with California, especially whether it's LA or San Diego, is you know you have a lot of transplant fans. So when teams like the Browns go on the road, they pick it up, and you'll have a decent blend of away fans and home fans because you know how many LA Rams diehard fans are there? There's not as many. They came from St. Louis, you know, back in the day they were the LA Rams, then they was the LA Chargers, and it's just it's hard. So, you know, I think character is one thing when you talked about like Indianapolis at that stadium where it's just such a different vibe of a stadium. And, you know, how, how, how many Browns fans were there? Like, was it a decent traveling crowd? Like what percentage of the stadium would you say are Browns fans? Yeah. There was one block where it's 50, 50, but yeah. Well, that's like all the players tickets. No, no, no. They were all, all the players fans tickets were all behind me. Um, it was probably um, one in 10 Browns fans. So, the stadium is seventy thousand. I would say, yeah, five to seven thousand Browns fans there. Gotcha. Um, One of them being LeBron James. I saw. Did you get a chance to uh, see where I he did, was at? I did hang out with Le- uh, Akron boy, uh, LeBron James. But um, the stadium wasn't full. There was lots of seats available. So I think there's probably about five thousand Browns fans there. Gotcha. I did see that you were sitting close to Jack's favorite person. I saw a little envy pouring from his eyes when you were within spitting distance of Mr. Deepa Desta. Yeah, I went up and saw JW and Jimmy. Had a chat with them too. And they're in a box right on the halfway line or the 50, as you call it. Yeah. And then next to them, they had all the players that were injured. So you had Deshaun Watson, Nick Chubb, uh, Wills. They're the players I identified all next to... um, uh, the owners. Well, that's leading up to the game, Paul. So let's take a little bit of time now. We're going to talk about the game because it was the it was the world debut of uh, Joe Flacco as the Browns quarterback. I will tell you this on TV, Flacco looked like he still has some pop in his arm, like he was still getting the ball out. He has some velocity. How did he? How did the offense in general look in person? And how did Joe Flacco look throwing the ball as somebody that's been to a number of Browns games? How'd the quarterback look? Yeah, I think the first thing you notice is he's a bit like Ben, Big Ben. He stands up in the pocket and he throws the ball well. He's big, not big my arm. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's he's almost my age, so it makes sense why he's not all that mobile. He was standing there. He was reading the game and he was then throwing, executing um, good balls to, what was it said, 11 different um weapons so yeah he was definitely spreading the ball out i mean i think at the end of the day yeah one two three four five six seven eight yeah nine, nine different receivers yep at half time the games all the stats were quite equal he looked good but our defense looked a bit shaky uh but we'll talk about that in a minute but yeah um he looked good uh obviously he was frustrated with his uh interception uh but also you know, he looked good. I think um, he's definitely a team that we could go to the Super Bowl with, but we're going to have to have our luck on our side. I think you're being optimistic there. But yeah, overall, I I kind of told people, obviously, in our chats that I didn't think the Browns were going to fare too well on the West Coast trip. 
And it was mainly because I looked at the two quarterbacks we were going up against. We were going up against Russell Wilson and we were going up against Matt Stafford. You know, obviously we would bring in uh, Joe Flacco. And what I found interesting is I thought for his first game, for his first snaps after being in Cleveland for two weeks, he was having some rhythm. You know, the Browns, I I think running the ball was probably going to be a little bit more difficult to do. Obviously, when you have a player of the year, defensive player of the year candidate like Aaron Donald in the middle, you're you're going to. You're going to take and choose what you can from the rushing game. But overall, I mean, Flacco finished 23 of 44, which is, you know, not great in terms of completion percentage. I thought a lot of his were some throwaways and stuff. I think with those bigger non-mobile quarterbacks, you have to kind of understand the completion percentage is going to vary because he's probably only maybe a read or two before the ball's got to come out. He knows that. But Paul, I just noticed the difference between the offense because full disclosure, the Rams and the Browns are pretty equally matched, right? If you look around the table, you'll see, you know, their talent, our talent, pretty equal. They have a good defense, not as great of a defense. They have a little bit better offense than we do. The difference in this game was Puka Nakua, right? The the Rams, the only reason the Rams won the game, and listen, I'm not, I don't look too much into what the final score was because at the end of the day, it was a close game. Dustin Hopkins obviously missed the extra point to try to tie it up. And then the Rams got a couple late scores to make it, you know, a little bit more of a, a difference in terms of spread, but the electric play by Nakua, the 70 yard touchdown pass, you know, then he had the, the end around reverse on the jet sweep that went for a huge chunk of yardage. And I just overall think the Browns offense right now is lacking that big play explosive, you know, aspect because we had obviously the butt cheek catch, which was pretty cool to hear the ref on things say, well, he got a butt cheek down. So that was good, but we're just missing overall that, that game record, that game pop. And, you know, Nakua brought it for the Rams. The Browns don't have it. So I thought the offensive line was fine. I thought they gave uh, Flacco enough time in the pocket to kind of develop, you know, but you have Aaron Donald, obviously in the middle, who's going to cause some havoc. I mean, that's literally what he does. His job is to wreck the game in the front. Um, you know, I thought Ernest Jones, who's a decent middle linebacker for them. Uh, Kobe Turner's an up and coming rookie. He got a lot of pressure coming there from that interior, but overall, I think the Browns held up pretty strong. It's just, we just were missing that dynamic element to really give us what we were needed. And that was the difference in the game. Elijah Moore had to step up with uh, Mari Cooper going down. And I thought Jerome, you know, Jerome Ford did what he could with the carries that he had, but it just wasn't enough. And now we're going to come home against Jacksonville who just lost on Monday night to Cincinnati. And, you know, they're going to be possibly going with CJ Beathard because Trevor Lawrence got rolled up on and has a high ankle sprain. So the Browns offense, I think in week two with Flacco is going to look different than in week one, just in the sense that I think, you're going to have a little bit more reps. You may have time to get more to the checkdowns. We saw a significant drop off in the number of targets for David Njoku this week, which, you know, I thought was kind of interesting because I figured, hey, man, maybe, you know, uh, Flacco would kind of use that safety blanket as a tight end, but he really didn't. Elijah Moore dominated the targets. Uh, Cedric Tillman, you know, I think was second on the team in terms of uh, targets. So interesting to see how the Browns offense rule runs out next week against the Jags at home. But let's... uh. Let's go ahead and put a number on it, Paul. What would you say overall? Do you need me to give you any stats on the offense or do you have a number pretty much in mind? Yeah, I thought the I thought the offense was frustrating at times. Um Cooper dropped a few, if I'm correct. He dropped the one that went out on injury, yeah. Yeah, so do you not drop any more or no? Uh, the Browns as a team were credited 
per the old PFF with two drops. It was Mari Cooper had two drops. Yeah, Cooper dropped two. Okay, so yeah, I I would say um, I give the the offense five. I thought um, at times um, Brian Titan had a one of his best games for the as as a Brown. Yeah, caught all five targets, five targets, five catches, forty nine yards. So I think the yeah. the Rams were doing something to keep make sure maybe take away Najoko as the first read. But I thought that play they drew up to Harrison Bryant where he was coming back across the formation uh, for the touchdown. That was, I think, the the second, the last, actually, it was probably our last touchdown of the game. But I thought that was a very well-designed play. Yeah, I'll, I'll say five for the offense. What are you going to go with? I was kind of leaning in that four to five range as well. Um, my initial gut was a four. Overall, I just think they lacked efficiency. Um, I think the the completion percentages were down. Like I said, from Flacco, um, we really didn't get too much. We did average 3.8 yards rushing. Uh, we did have the turnover, which, you know, sucked because I think Flacco saw the read and I think he he second guessed himself. If you watch, he has a little bit of a pitter patter of the feet. Um, I did like the concept that Stefanski had. So, you know, Flacco didn't have to take that deep shot. I think a lot of people sometimes when they are talking about play calling, forget that it's the quarterback's ultimate decision where he's going to throw the ball. Because, you know, Flacco had other options on the play. He decided to take the deep shot. The problem is it was late. The free safety was watching and came over and picked it off. So I would say four or five, but either way, it's a failing grade. Mm. You Uh, go ahead. You make the final decision. Let's go four. People have been messaging me saying, give give three for the offense, zero for the defense, one for special teams. So, yeah. People are, oh, wow. Very negative listeners we've got. Jeez. So, all yeah. right, well, let's yeah. let's talk about this defense because, Paul, you know, coming in the beginning of the season, I think a lot of people had some high hopes. And I think for the first time, the Rams, and a lot of times I think people forget this. Matt Stafford's a veteran QB. I would take Stafford on this team in a heartbeat, right? He yeah, knew he, he had to get the ball he out. Good. He did. And he always has looked good. He just has always been on shitty teams. So I think when we're talking about Matt Stafford, we have to remember, like, this is a guy that knows how to play the quarterback position. And he has Nakua, who's the second option. You have, you know, Cooper Cup, obviously, is your primary option. But in the same sense, they have Tutu Atwell. They have Tyler Higby. You know, they have other options and weapons. But overall, the defense needed to step up and make a play. And Matt Stafford, being the veteran quarterback, wasn't going to let him. Overall, what were your thoughts on the defense? Um, Disappointing, mate, to be honest. Miles Garrett was quiet. Um. We just gave up them big plays. It wasn't the same old Browns like the start of the season, you know, three and out, three and out, three and out. We didn't see that. Um, Yeah, so just a little bit disappointed, mate. Well, and I think what you're talking about is a veteran quarterback. You know, earlier in the season, we didn't get burrowed as best. We haven't really faced that dynamic veteran quarterback. And... Stafford made sure he wasn't going to let Miles Garrett wreck the game. You knew that. That ball was coming out quick. We also saw, you know, somebody like Aaron Donald, who was able to get, I think, eight total pressures in this game. So defensively, from the interior, it's easier to get pressure because you obviously have a straighter shot right at the quarterback. I think a lot of times Stafford was stepping up in the pocket. I think they were using a short, quick passing game to kind of balance off that pass rush. And ultimately what it led to is the defense had no sacks and no turnovers. And I think that's ultimately what we kind of look at in terms of what we're going to evaluate the defense. 
But the one thing I thought we just, Paul, the tackling looked like shit. I mean, I think, I think if I remember right, and I don't have it in front of me, but I think PFF credited us with seven missed tackles. That's terrible. So ultimately, it's one of those things where we have to overcome the shortcomings on defense to say, hey, how are we going to clean it up in the back end? How are we going to clean it up in the front end? How are we going to not only generate pressure, but also when we do generate pressure, the ball gets out quick. We have to get the ball carrier on the ground. So we have this issue now. We have these missed tackles. We're not getting these guys on the ground. Now, in saying that, I think we are going to get some reinforcement back. I think, you know, the loss of Denzel Ward has kind of pushed some guys into position. You know, I saw probably a few more snaps out of somebody like, uh, uh, as a Caliph Halisi or Halisi. I apologize for getting his name wrong. But, you know, these are the type of guys that we're getting snaps out of. Mike Ford. I would prefer to have Denzel Ward out there. And I'm not saying that he's going to clean up the missed tackles thing, but ultimately, you know, we're coming back home first energy stadium, Cleveland Brown stadium, whatever it's called. Now we got to get this cleaned up. I have faith in Jim Schwartz getting it done. Yeah. I just think um, that game was there for us to win. Oh, half sure. time, half time. Great. The scoreline, forget scoreline, you know, um, that was the only thing I want to ask you about on the TV. I wasn't really sure what was going on. Um, it seemed like Kevin Stefanski panicked um, with the red, with the red um, challenge flag from my side in the stadium, and yeah, he felt like he went for it on the four. Was that his only option, or could he have punted it away? with the view for the defense to stand up and get the ball back or no? You're, you're talking about the challenge that he had late in the game? Yes. So if I'm not mistaken, I think that play happened with a little under three minutes left in the game. And I think that after the, if I'm trying to think, that was the pass out to the right where they weren't sure. I think ultimately they were trying to get the, the clock stop. Like, I think there was a question about whether he was out of bounds, whether he had the catch because he kind of made that two footed thing. Was he going out? Was the clock going to stop? I think maybe they'd used the timeout. I'm not sure. I didn't hear anyone really address that with Stefanski in the post game, but as it related to the going forward on fourth down, that was to me, the right decision. The defense hadn't made a stop. They were gassed. So I have no problem with them going for it. Okay, cool. All right, cool. Well, uh, I'm going to give it defense a three. Yeah, I was going to say a two or a three, and I think ultimately we've graded on a curve to start the season. So in this case, they're a good defense, and they didn't put a good performance. So yeah, I would say a two or a three on this one as well. Great. Special teams. Now, in that stadium, I always think when they punt the ball up, is it going to hit the um, the scorecard? The sign in it? Yeah. Do you know if, if anyone's hit it yet or not? Uh, I know they've hit the one in Dallas. Actually, my... Uh, one of my old college guys, AJ Trapasso, did that. He was the first one in, I believe, a preseason game to do that. But I don't know if anyone's done it at SoFi. But I will say, I mean, I think Corey Borquez likes kicking there. There's no doubt about it. He had a couple of bangers, five punts, 47.2 on the average, long of 62, had the one that bounded into the end zone for the touchback, and then had two pinned inside the 20. So I thought special teams, um, Dustin Hopkins obviously missing an extra point is very much not acceptable. We have to make those, especially since that would have tied the game up at 20. We didn't do it. 
Um, in terms of their returns, we had the one good kickoff return and on punt, we kept them under. So overall, pretty good performance on specials, but missed the extra point. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I actually thought that missed kick was actually going to really motivate the team to come back and win the game, but it didn't. I, mean, I think they were kind of hoping for that, right? But overall, when it mattered the most, you missed the kick. So I, I, I'm going to have to give him a failing grade on this one. I think Boraquez maybe gets an eight, but Hopkins gets a three. So I would say we're going to be somewhere in the five, six range for specials. Um, I think a four, mate. Four. I could, I could listen. I'm not, I'm not going to put up the, the tent and argue some of these. I thought overall the performance was pretty bad, but listen, Paul, you know, the team seven and five, we're going into a three game stretch here against the Jags, the bears and the Texans. You have to win two out of these three, right? Definitely. Um, I think 100% hearing the news about Lawrence, the Browns should be go. The Jags should be coming with a view Browns to win. Um, you, you've got to remember that Houston, the Bengals, the Steve, well, the Bengals we've got to play. We've got to play Houston and the Jags. All three teams that are in the, in the playoffs, and they're also, I've got second quarterbacks as well. But you know that they, they are teams that we should be going out there and beating. Yeah, I mean, obviously, not only did the Jags lose uh, Trevor Lawrence, but they also lost Christian Kirk. So they lost their you know second best wide receiver. They still have Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram. So they have a decent set of offensive weapons. But the Browns defense is going to have to focus on one thing and that one thing only, and that's stopping Travis Etienne. That offense will go next week. And listen, I, if Lawrence plays, that's one thing. I don't know how he's going to play with a high ankle sprain. He won't have the mobility he normally has. Jacksonville will probably go to the veteran C.J. Beathard. But the Browns have and listen, the Bears stink. Okay, the Bears stink. They do. They have Justin Fields, but they stink. You got to win that one. So I would say they got to win the Jags. They got to win the Bears. That gets them to nine and five going into the final three games with the Texans, the Jets, and the Bengals. It's anybody's It's anybody's bargain. I think not many people had the Bengals beating the Jags on Monday Night Football. They did it. They're now seven in, or six and six, so they're right behind us. Baltimore just kind of seems to be running away with this division at the same point. Kenny Pickett's obviously out for a few weeks now with an injury. So the Ravens are the only team in the uh, division with their starting quarterback not out for the season. So the lucky Ratbirds again, Paul. Yeah, but look, we love roller coaster uh, seasons. It's down with the players. Um, you weren't very optimistic about this, but yeah. Let's work out how many games we've got to win. We can win three out of the next five. Is that correct? The if I mean, yes, there's five left. So Jags, Bears, two, Jets, three. I would say if they win those three, and they're at 10 and seven at that point, they have a snowball's chance. I think 11 wins get you in. Just looking at that oh, AFC wow. wild card, they're going to have to beat they're going to have to, in my opinion, finish the season four and one to guarantee their spot. Three and two, maybe a little bit better than 50 50 getting into the playoffs. But overall, Paul, they got to get this cleaned up. They do. They got to get this offense humming because right now it's just, it's in shambles. It's just, it doesn't have a rhythm to it. It's not a very impressive offense. When I watch other teams play with backups, I mean, Cincinnati's offense looked a hell of a lot better last night against the Jags with Jake Browning. So I fully expect, I mean, they got Joe Mixon going, they got Jamar Chase going. Now they have better offensive weapons than the Browns. That's the point. We're going to have to find a way to get these guys going. 
If the Browns beat the Jaguars, that gives us a really strong chance again, a home playoff game. Uh, no, I would say not because the Ravens are running away with the division. The Jags and the Texans right now are both seven and five. So they're fighting over. I'm sorry. The Jags, I think are eight and four Texans are seven. Yeah, and five. I understand. Yeah. They, sorry, mate. I, I, I was thinking in my head that if we overtake the Jags, then we get that spot, but it doesn't work like that. It's, no, wrong um, division. Yeah. You've got to win your division to get the home game. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So at this point, you're just fighting for a wild card spot. And then the question is going to be, who do you play? The two, the three, or the yeah. four seed if you go that route. So ideally, you'd like to stay higher up to play, you know, possibly the Jags or the Texans, whoever comes out of that AFC South. You know, obviously, the Chiefs losing makes the AFC West a little bit more interesting. You know, the Broncos lost, the Chiefs lost. I mean, the AFC is just dealing with such a rash of injuries, right? It's just, it's tough. I mean, the Chiefs at eight and four, the Broncos at six and six, that one's going to come down to it. But, you know, right now the playoff picture is as follows. The Miami is the one seed, Baltimore's the two, Kansas City's the three, Jacksonville's the four. The Steelers are the five, the Browns are the six, and the Colts are the seven. So the Bills are probably going to have something to say about that as well. It'll be an interesting last five weeks of the season. I don't think anybody's really doubting that. But, you know, overall, I think Stefanski's got to do his best coaching job of the year, get these guys ready to go out there, win back-to-back games. Let's let's avenge these two losses to the Broncos and the Rams, and let's get back on the winning streak for the uh, the um, the Jaguars and the Bears. You know, let's let's take down these animals. Yeah. All right, Ian. Uh, anything else you want to cover? No. Unfortunately, my Ohio State football uh, – team lost so they're out of the playoff pure carnage and chaos in the nfl or in the college football playoff committee but we're not a college football po- podcast paul so we won't get too far into that but uh yeah outside of that life in ohio uh congratulations to maslin uh winning the, the division one uh, high school championship over akron hoban so shout out to the maslin people as well and how are uh, columbus crew doing they wanna they they won a cup or am i wrong they won the conference cup for their side All right, cool. Well, look, I'm looking forward to going up to the North Cotswolds for the game uh, up there in the countryside. So, uh, Browns backers up there, right? That's correct. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. Well, shout out to our Cotswold boys. Go Browns. Go Browns. No good. Even Hollywood trying to get a piece, baby.